This is exactly right. It's me, Roz. Okay, this episode today, okay, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. There are facts. There are stories. There are theories. There is just, okay, I have on John E.L. Tenney. And John is, I believe John will go down in history as one of the great thinkers of our time on this this type of uh, topic, the paranormal world. I mean, John is such a deep thinker and someone that really knows what they're talking about. And I just, I love, I I love (laughs) getting to talk to him. It was so fun. And we talk about a wide variety of things. And uh, I, I learned a lot. And I think that you will as well. And so I have some more on Patreon that you can hear. We talk about cryptid creatures in Michigan. He does live in Michigan, so he knows a lot about Michigan uh, creatures. There's a, did you know there's a dog man in Michigan? Um, yeah, we talk about it on Patreon, patreon.com slash On my second tier, on my first tier this week, I do a little tour of my fun divine bathroom that is all themed around the drag queen legend divine and a little bit of angeline thrown in there too so um go check that out on patreon and this is another episode that's like it's dense there are (laughs) we cover a lot of ground so i'll keep it brief in this intro and let's just get into it here is john el tenney on with the show All right. Hello, John. Weird question, but how are you? I am doing as well can be as can be expected in this very odd and strange time. But (laughs) uh, I mean, I'm always doing fantastic. Every day is uh, I'm glad that I'm not in the cemetery. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're both people that really like odd and weird things, but I think it's gone to a whole different level in recent times. (laughs) Not necessarily in the ways that I prefer, but we're hanging in there. We're doing our best. And um, I mean, I'm a hermit all along. I love sitting in my house, reading books, drinking coffee, drinking wine and not talking to people. So a yeah. lot of this is OK with me. <laughs> Honestly, same. Well, you're um, from what I understand, a Michigander. Where, where do you live in Michigan? I am 14 miles north of Detroit. So southeast okay. Michigan. I am, um, you know, I went to your website and I was looking through, I mean, so much good stuff on there, but I found the different lists that you've done of annual most haunted towns in Michigan. And I'm from the 2015 number three most haunted town, Grand Rapids. Oh, well, congratulations. Grand Rapids is a uh, <laughs> lovely place, but a, a confusing and scary place sometimes. <laughs> we are uh, we are very proud to be known as uh, one of the most haunted places. I mean, I've lived in um, 
in LA for I think 11 or 12 years now but I'm from there um have you ghost hunted there at all Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I investigate all over the state of Michigan, all over the country, but Michigan's the most easy for me. Right. And since I'm on the, you know, I spent the early part, I've done this for 30 years now. So the first decade was all spent in my area. And then slowly I branched out. And that east or excuse me, west side of the state is really crazy it has lots of bigfoot and ghost hunting and and the lake makes uh, a lot of ufo sightings happen over there so uh, i was happy to discover that in my state so this podcast when it started especially was really just focused around people with ghost stories and then now i've kind of like expanded a little bit more i know i mean i know <laughs> I know things about ghosts. I don't know a ton about like Bigfoots and UFOs. And do you have like a, a favorite or, you know, one that you focus most on? Cause it seems like you know about all this stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's great what you just said, because kind of my catchphrase for the past 30 years is that people should diversify their weirdness because, uh-huh. you know, as I study, a ghost encounter like it starts to sound a lot like uh alien abduction or sometimes i'll be studying a bigfoot encounter and it'll start to sound like a haunting and i realized a long time ago at least for myself that there are all these specific groups of ghost hunters bigfoot hunters ufo hunters uh and they are investigating a single tentacle of an octopus it seems like they're all interconnected in some way and and i think that's really where we can make kind of strides in this community is by thinking larger and more strangely about what we're thinking about. When you see, you know, the image of your grandmother or your grandfather floating around in a house, we take it for granted that, oh, that's the ghost of my grandmother. But like, where are you seeing it? Because like when you look at me, you're seeing light bouncing off of me. It's going into your eye and then into your brain and then it's making an image in your brain. So you're actually seeing in your brain. Now, if a ghost makes itself solid enough to bounce light, that should be very easily detectable by machines because that's a lot of mass coming into reality. But we don't ever catch that. We, can, we can't measure that. So is something else happening? Is, is your grandmother's ghost looking around in your head, finding a memory of herself and then flipping the visualization switch in your brain and then you see her? And if that's happening, it's far more intimate, far more weird. Mm-hmm. And it's not just when you die, you become a kind of translucent person who can walk through walls, which I think is sort right. of boring. <laughs> I knew you were going to do this. I knew that you, from what I know of you, you, you're, you blow people's minds and you're already doing this for me. So thank you. Um, I feel, okay. So, you know, a lot of people that listen to this show, we, we have a pretty diverse audience of people that are, you know, real into the paranormal, paranerds or, you know, whatever you want to say. And then we also have people that just like hearing about this stuff. So for anyone that doesn't know you, so so you've done this for 30 years now. Um, just a couple of like, you know, the the typical questions, like how'd you how'd you get into this stuff? Sure. So 
So a lot of people in this community have stories about like when they were little kids and they saw a ghost or when they were a little kid, they saw a UFO. I don't have a story like that. My story is I was a, you know, middle class, lower middle class kid just outside of Detroit. And I hated people telling me what I could think about and what I couldn't could and couldn't do. And I grew up in the punk rock scene in Detroit in the 80s. And I think that it kind of stemmed from that when people told me, like, don't think about UFOs, don't think about Bigfoot, don't think about ghosts. Um, I kind of rebelled against that. And so I sought out people who investigated ghosts and witches and uh, ceremonial magicians and ufologists. And I hung out with them. And that's really kind of where I started. And all of my friends knew me as, you know, the weird guy who knew all that weird stuff. (laughs) And when I was going to college, uh, I was thought I would be a history teacher with a major in folklore. This is 1992. And a friend of mine uh, called me and said, there's a television show on NBC called Unsolved Mysteries and they need a researcher. Do you want to be a researcher for this television show? And I dropped out of college and became a researcher for Unsolved. And then... Wait, I did not know this one. Okay, what? That's one of my favorite shows ever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I dropped out of college and became one of their research staff and worked on Lizzie Borden houses, haunting cases, the Queen Mary, um, certain big episodes. And then it was just kind of off to the races. Like once you get into that, click of your researcher who works on weird shows, especially in the 90s when the X-Files hit, it was huge. There was sightings and very scary stories and all these other television programs that needed a researcher. And then, you know, by the time that paranormal reality television came around in 2002, 2003, I was still relatively young. You know, I was in my early 30s and I had already had 15 years of experience. And so it was off to the races. Amazing. So did you move to L.A. when you were working on Unsolved Mysteries or where did you do that? I did it from Detroit. I went to L.A. a couple of times uh, just to meet with other staff and, you know, kind of get the feeling for the show. But the majority of our research, we had researchers spread out all across the country. That way, if we had a case that was happening in the Midwest, I would run with it with a couple of other researchers and same thing. They had researchers all over the country. It was really ultimately cool i never went back to college (laughs) that's so cool what do you think of the new unsolved mysteries Uh, i think it's good i like it um it it, i was concerned at first that they were going to try and replace robert stack and uh i'm kind of glad they didn't try to do that uh I, i mean if they would have i would have loved it to have been me i still to this day like walk around in a trench coat (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I wear suits and ties every day, so I feel like I would have been a good fit. But there's no with matching fog up. fog in the background. With fog in the background. I will tell you, here's some inside Hollywood stuff. Is Give that it to if, us. If you listen to those first uh, seasons with Robert Stack hosting Unsolved Mystery, he did a lot of voiceovers. Uh, he is hammer drunk. Like, he would really? Do his voice- oh, he would do his voiceovers just gone. And a lot of the times you can catch him slurring and you'll catch him slipping on words. It's really amazing. (laughs) And those walk-ups that you were talking about with like fog and smoke behind him and stuff, they would shoot a month of those in one day because they'd get him sobered up. And they'd get him like eight different ties and a couple different jackets. And then they just, you know, let's do this one. Let's do this one. And they'd, they'd hammer them all out in one day. 
Oh my god. I I oh, I'm up those are I think about those every day and now I'm never going to think of them the same, but I'm always like, there's always a swing set in the background. There's always like, there's just, there's an alleyway, like just these ominous locations with him talking. And I had no clue about any of that. Did you ever meet him? I did. Uh, One time when I was in Los Angeles, I was on the lot and we were at lunch and he was sitting by himself and I thought, well, this is my only real chance to meet him. Uh, and I know he probably doesn't want to be bothered, but you know, what do I care? I'm 23 at the time. So I went over and I kind of sat down and introduced myself and I said to him, I figured this is my only shot. I, I, I just blatantly said it like this. I said, do you believe any of this shit that we're writing about? And, that you're talking about? and he laughed and he said, uh, his response was, um, I'll try uh, trying to do my Robert stack. He said, uh, I had a friend in the Navy and my friend in the Navy told me that he once saw a UFO come out of the water and he would have no reason to lie to me. And my parents, my parents used to have seances in the house and I used to watch them from the top step. They wouldn't allow me to sit in, but I would watch them from the top step of the hallway stairwell. And then he paused and he goes, and my wife, when my wife moved to California, the first place she went, was a fortune teller, a palm reader. And she asked her, will I be a famous actress? And the fortune teller told my wife, you will not be a famous actress, <laughs> but you're going to marry someone that looks like Robert Stack. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When, when we talk about, like, do you believe this shit or whatever, I mean, I can't even imagine, like, 30 years of doing this. Like, where are you, where are you at? I mean, obviously, there's so many different things, but are, are there things that you're like, I'm pretty sure I, I, I know what this one is? It's interesting. I, I think that a lot of people who come into this kind of community and world and meet me or discover me sometimes people get really turned off because i tell people i don't believe anything Mm -hmm. and that is really the hardest line to walk in this community because once you believe something all of your data gets skewed in that direction of that belief and once you disbelieve something you skew your direction in that side and so to walk the line and say like i don't believe in any of it i have a lot of ideas about it but no one knows i don't know Um, I think that's the hardest thing to do. And the longer that I've done this, the more, you know, in a very tropish sense, like the longer I do this, the less I know, the more I am just completely confounded when I run across a case that seems like it's going to be very easy, something that uh, is very discernible. And then it just introduces a whole new set of parameters that blows my mind and makes me reconsider all of this. So, I mean, it's all real and none of it's real. Right. Well, I mean, there's there's concrete facts and there's there's things that you can I always feel like you can be an expert on cases and or um, theories or you know, there's a lot of things you can know, which you obviously do. But um, I, I'm sure it, it's hard to. It's hard for me sometimes when I talk to people that are like, this is what that means. And this is what that is. And it's like it's 
yeah, I, I totally agree with that bias that they that 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 has, and it it totally closes you off to other possibilities. Well, and I tell people all the time, you're you're right, absolutely right. But like, I, if someone in this field or in this field of study, if someone gives you a declarative sentence like that is a ghost or that is a Bigfoot, that is a UFO. Mm-hmm. I really feel like that that person who's saying that has no idea what they're talking about. Because if they did, they would know that no one knows what a ghost is. When when I do lectures and I ask, you know, there'll be a crowd of people and I'll say, how many people here believe in ghosts? And they all raise their hands. And then they put their hands down and I said, we all raised, every, every one of you just raised your hand agreeing with yourself because you don't know what the person next to you thinks a ghost is. When you have a philosophical discussion and talking about ghosts is a deep one, you start that discussion by determining the parameters of the word and what the word is going to mean. That way everybody's on the same page. But we've never had that experience as a community. We've never sat down and said, okay, a ghost is this. Uh, a shadow person is that. A phantom is this. A poltergeist is that. And then we can all agree or disagree on those parameters. We just say, oh, yeah, it's a ghost. Oh, it's an orb. Oh, it's a Bigfoot. And mm-hmm. then we just agree with ourselves and it doesn't really get us anywhere. So you don't have, do you have, like, do you have a definition of what a ghost is for you? Or is that <laughs> against what you, against what you just said? I mean, I have ghostly experiences, but I really don't. I mean, I've had enough strange personal experiences to know that having a singular idea about what a ghost is, is, is challenging. I mean, I have uh, had conversations with people who vanished immediately and I don't know if that's a ghost or if that's a guardian angel or if it was a doppelganger or if it was a tulpa or an aggregor. Uh, I've also been in a room where I've seen, you know, the shadow shape of a person disappear in front of 12 other people. And that seemed like a ghost, too. But it didn't talk and it didn't move and it wasn't wispy. It looked solid. Uh, But then I've also (laughs) had experiences where, you know, I got a figure walking on camera and it was solid and not wispy. And it didn't make noise when it moved, though, and it walked through a wall. So, like trying to define ghost as a singular thing is just uh, very difficult. And I think you end up failing when you do it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I really started being challenged by what is a ghost when I started hearing about astral projection and, you know, like the quote unquote ghosts of, of a living person type story. I mean, what, can can yeah, you I mean, explain more of that to me? I'm still like wrapping my head around it. Yeah. So one of the like most well researched uh, types of ghosts at the time were were apparitions, and in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this group called the S- Society for Psychical Research. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put out a two volume set of books that was called Phantasms of the Living. They studied 5,000 cases of apparitional sightings. And what they found out really challenged back then. They were trying to study, you know, quote unquote ghosts, which just people who died and then you saw an image of them or a version of them. But what they found was that most, the most common ghost that's seen is a crisis apparition, which is you see someone and then you find out that that person has died later on or they die relatively soon after you see them. 
But then what are you seeing if the person is still alive when you see them? Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, that the body goes out, that the, the, the soul isn't so much connected to the body. It goes out to say goodbye to everybody. But if the body is still walking around, like, what is the ghost then? Is that a separate thing? Like, does that happen after the body dies? And then the spirit that went out to visit people becomes something else. And you when become you, a, you become twins. <laughs> you become twins. You never know. And then... You know, if you astral project when you're uh, uh, an astral version of your own body leaves this body, but you're still alive, do you technically become a ghost or are you still alive and you have an astral body? And then does that astral body have a ghost of its own? So, I mean, you really get into the weeds with it. And when you start thinking about ghosts, like this is what I love. I, I always have these really like strange questions that I ask people because I think that if you really do deep dives into your thinking about it, you can start to find a lot of strangeness in your own mind, which is people always see ghosts wearing clothes. Like uh -huh. they see a woman in a white dress or they see uh, a Confederate soldier on a battlefield. Well, then my question is always, well, if they're dressed, are they wearing underwear and socks? Yeah. Right? Because if they're putting on clothes... And then do they have to put the clothes on or do they manifest the clothes as they manifest themselves? And then how specific are the clothes? Like a Civil War soldier's outfit uh, has some pretty crazy embellishments on it. Like who stamped the eagles on the buttons and who sewed the clothes that they have? And so you have to dive into all of that as well. Or is it just constructed inside of your own mind from what you remember what clothes look like? Oh, my God. Well, I'm a drag queen, and I think about what I'm going to be wearing as a ghost constantly. <laughs> and it's a lot of steps. It's a lot of work. It takes time to get it all together. That's a lot. I hope when I'm a ghost, I don't have to deal with all that. You can just, like, snap, and it's all there done. Well, that's what I like to tell people happens, <laughs> but it's not the truth. <laughs> you don't so, know. It might, it might be your truth. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm keeping my mind open. What are, what are you talking about when you say you've encountered what you believe to be a human and all of a sudden it disappears? When has that happened? Uh, so that was probably 98. I was driving to a lecture in of mine in Indiana and I was driving through kind of corn country. The corn was very tall at the time. And I had a day or so before the lecture, so I was taking back roads and just kind of, I, every time I get in, in Indiana, I stop in Fairmount, which is James Dean's hometown. So I take all these little back roads and I was going through this kind of dirt road through a cornfield and there was a crossing sign and there was this gentleman standing by the sign and completely dressed from like 1910, like top hat. Uh, not top hat, derby hat, um, suit, vest. Uh, I could even see a little pocket watch fob. Uh, and I pulled up to this cross and it was hot out. He just looked like to the nines. And I rolled down my window and I said, can, can I give you a lift somewhere? Do you need a ride somewhere? And he leaned in my window and looked me straight in the face and just this, horrified feeling like I got chills through myself and he said you're not the one I'm waiting for 
Mm-hmm. And he stood back and I jammed on the on the gas and took off. And I looked in my rear view mirror and there was no one standing there. And <sighs> I got super freaked out and I called one of my friends in Detroit and told her the experience. And she's like, oh, you were at a crossroads. She's like, I wonder if that was the devil. And then I was really fucked up for like the next week or so. Oh. <laughs> well, do you think that... Um you know it's there's many reasons for such a thing but do you think that there's okay how do i say this like people that attract ghosts or is it a thing that because you uh you know you're looking for ghosts or you're open to it like what is what is all that about when it comes to certain people having a lot of different experiences um you know, is it connected to the fact that you're a paranormal um, investigator and someone in this field and so you're around it and you're kind of asking for it? Or, you know, what is it? Why, why do some people have all these experiences? I think for myself, it's because I actively investigate cases and ask people and I end up doing and going places that most normal people don't get to go to and get to do and so i'm kind of immersed in it so yes i have more experiences but i think that this stuff happens to everyone and it's whether or not people choose to kind of follow it and notice it Mm -hmm. i feel like the universe if it's ever shown us anything it loves to create and kind of play and i think the universe is constantly tapping us on the shoulder asking us if we want to engage with it and most people just don't and then there are people who do. And when you play, the universe plays back. Mm. Okay. So is there, are there ways of putting boundaries on that playtime? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm down to play, just not when I'm laying in bed. Nothing <laughs> is allowed in here. Like, how do I, how is that, you know? Yeah, th- I think your intention makes a big, a big point. Um, I, my friends know about the, my house that I have a force field, what I call a force field over my house, and it's so that nothing can get in here and nothing can follow me home and everything knows to stay outside. And uh, that has just been a long period of setting my intention, of telling everything and thinking to myself, this is my home, this is where I belong, only loved ones and friends belong inside of it. And it creates, I feel like, a bubble, like a force field to to keep me safe. And it has for you know, many, many years. Uh, I was doing an experiment with some friends and they wanted to do it in my house. And I said, well, it's not going to work because the force field will keep everything out. And they said, can't you just take down a section (laughs) of it? And I said, yeah, fine. So I kind of went through my rituals and kind of pulled this force field. I know it sounds crazy. Force field down off the back of, uh, of my house. And within an hour the foundation of my house cracked right where I had brought the force field down and my crawl space flooded. And like people were in my house when it started to happen. They were like, holy shit, like you have to put that back up. Like stuff is attacking you. And so I did and things got better, but there was just this like four hour span of time when everything that has been trying to get into my house for 30 years was attempting to get in at one time. And it it was pretty crazy. Oh my God. I'm picturing like all these ghosts and demons and stuff, just like waiting outside for you. Wait, this could be a good business, you know, like a security installation business that you could do for people like me that just want to know how to keep everything out of my house. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny because (laughs) 
whenever I go to this is completely non-scientific, but many times when I go to houses that are having trouble with ghosts or what they are calling a ghost or something in the house that's weird, the majority of the time they have welcome mats in front of their front door. (laughs) And they've built their house to look welcoming to welcome things in. Uh, and I feel like that, uh, mindset, like my house is, it looks welcoming and nice and lovely inside. Uh, from the outside, it looks fine too. I mean, I, I upkeep my lawn and stuff like that, but, uh, you would never think of just like walking up to my house. Oh, that looks like a beautiful house. I'd go inside. Uh, and I feel like maybe stop so much with, uh, welcome mats in front of your door like maybe it's nice to welcome people once you've allowed them to enter your house like that's a start and we kind of do things like that naturally you know there's always a door in your house or some some in some people's apartments where like we don't use that side door and you've built a feeling up around that door that no one goes in or out that door and if someone comes in if a neighbor or somebody comes in you always tell them oh we don't use that door like, that's the way that you need to feel about all of your doors when you're thinking about spirits and ghosts. Okay. See, I'm I'm in such a L.A. mindset. I forget that people have welcome mats because here it's like, do not. <laughs> buy, I, I have had next door neighbors that I've never met for <laughs> years. That's just very much our mentality out here. But um, wait, I want to go back to when you were talking about this um cornfield possible devil so where are you at with that with the devil the demon the evil the all that kind of stuff what do you think i mean i don't uh, again this comes back to just my personal ideology but like good and evil are very subjective and they're very personal based and so like when someone is, tells me that there's something is a devil or a demon, like I have to realize that that's coming from their place of knowledge and their recognition of understanding. Because I, I've known a lot of people who have seemed terrible, but they are nice, kind people. And I've known a lot of nice, kind people who are absolutely terrible. <laughs> and I, I feel like that is that is just our universe. And, you know, a, a story that I tell at my lectures is I went to a client's house one time because they said they were having some poltergeist problems. And I walked in and I was there for maybe an hour. And while I was there, there were some juice glasses that were thrown and a screen door was kicked out and I was scratched and my hair was pulled. And I told them I wasn't going to take the case because their children were terrible. (laughs) <laughs> and their children were the ones throwing glasses and breaking out screen doors and attacking me. And the reason I tell that story, if I wouldn't have known that there were children in the house, I would have thought that there were demons in the house. Mm. But, but those children weren't even bad or mean. Those children were trying to get someone to pay attention to them. And they were doing whatever, by whatever means necessary to get someone to notice them. And so I think when people go into a location and they're scratched or something breaks or they hear a weird sound, because of movies and television and the way they're brought up, they immediately scream demon or they say it's evil without really thinking through the... I mean, we're fine sitting here right now talking because we can get up and leave whenever we want. But imagine how frustrated or sad or angry you would be if you had to be sitting where you're sitting right now for 10 years by yourself or 15 or 50 or 100 
you might get frustrated and it doesn't mean that you've become evil or you're a demon. It just means that you're lonely and you would like some connection. Well, I mean, with having to quarantine, I feel like that's actually pretty relatable after just one year. I can only imagine decades and decades of this. I would be, yeah, an evil bitch and people would think that I'm a demon for sure. And I think that, you know, I like that you said that about, um, you know, people's perceptions, because I think, you know, punk rock and and goths and you know drag queens and all these counterculture people that that i've always been around it's like there are always going to be people that view that as being you know weird in a bad way or evil or whatever and it's like those are some of the best people i've ever met you know like it's they're actually really good people it's just people's perceptions of what they associate with being bad um i think a lot of times it's a lack of understanding people um say i don't understand that so it means it's bad is basically yeah, what uh, it is i start you know my my website is weird lectures and i call myself a weirdo and <clears throat> uh, my po- old podcast is called realm of the weird and the reason i use weird so much and i have a little story about this on my website the first time that someone called me a weirdo was in high school and it was while they were beating me up i got beat up a lot in high school and I thought to myself in that moment, a weirdo must be a person who gets beaten up, not a person who beats people up. I'm okay with being a person who doesn't beat other people up. And then as I got older and started to become really fascinated with words and language, I looked up the the word weirdo and where that stems from. And weird comes from a 14th century word, W-Y-R-D. And it was a word that was thrown at people who lived on the outskirts of villages and towns and people who didn't submit their wills to the kings and queens and land barons and baronesses. It, it literally means a weirdo is a person who manifests their own destiny. And so when I call someone a weirdo, I'm giving them the greatest compliment that I have in my arsenal. I'm saying that you are the determiner of your life and you are the manifester of your own destiny. Yeah, I love that. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. that. I like that a lot. Um, I also always feel like the opposite of weird is boring. That's just right? my own <laughs> definition. Is <laughs> It's a good I thing. I don't know why people want to live in a world that doesn't have Bigfoot and elves and ghosts and UFOs. Like, what a boring world. Right. Well, okay. Can we talk about UFOs? So UFOs are something that I don't, I like don't, I, I, I'm fascinated by. I haven't talked a ton about on this podcast, mainly because I usually have on, you know, Hollywood types and they tell their stories and they have a a couple of ghost stories. Very rarely we've had possible alien type stories, but um, so it hasn't really come up. And then I've been trying to incorporate it a little bit more, but then I'm also, I get nervous because I feel like these days there's conspiracy theories that like have really gotten out of hand and they've gotten kind of scary and well yeah they've gotten real scary and dangerous and and I'm always like afraid that when I'm talking about theories that are involving the government and and all these large large ideas that that I'm going to be getting the wrong information or I'm not going to actually know what what I'm talking about so how do I how do I do that how do I know about this stuff without being um you know 
where do you get well, the accurate information these days? I mean, the first thing, the other thing is, you know, I started professionally, my, my mentor in research was a man named Craig Ciccone, who was a teacher, a historian, who studied political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. So my first lectures back in the late 80s, early 90s, were all conspiratorial lectures. And so to watch what's happened now is an outrage to my mental processes mm -hmm. because conspiracy theories were always meant as a way to do mental gymnastics to strengthen your critical thinking skills. It was a way to think about history and challenge the ideas of history while figuring out what the kind of combined history actually was and not what it has become, which is just kind of high insanity. Um, when it comes to researching anything, I mean, you have to find as many various sources as you can. You pick and choose what you like and what suits you and what works for you. And then you challenge that belief uh, with other people and hopefully with a larger group you construct better ideas. That doesn't seem to be happening now in the conspiratorial world. Right. But the good thing about UFOs is that it doesn't have to be conspiratorial. Um, there are a lot of people who want government disclosure and the Air Force needs to tell us and there are secret groups who know about UFOs. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like UFOs traditionally, historically, throughout the ages have presented themselves to everyday normal human beings who tell their stories and we have hundreds of thousands of those stories uh, from credible people who talk about their interactions with what seem to be extraterrestrials and UFOs. And so you don't even need to get the government involved in it. I don't know why the gov people would want the government to tell them anything anyway. Like, I'd much, I'd much rather talk to a person who's seen a UFO than a government group who's getting millions of tax dollars to not tell me about UFOs. Yeah, I mean, I've seen these articles that because of the COVID relief bill, there's supposed to be things coming out. I mean, is that legit? Uh, they're supposed to release a committee uh, document uh, that's investigating unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, which is the new UFO designation. Uh, but the thing is, is again, like... All of this might seem really new to people who don't know that much about UFOs, but, mm -hmm. you know, Project Blue Book, which was a government UFO group that was in the 1960s, and that was born out of Project Grudge, which was based out of Project Saucer, which is based out of, you know, uh, there have always been government projects investigating this stuff. Like, the government investigates everything. They, you know, from the MK Ultra experiments, testing LSD on people, to mm -hmm. doing remote viewing the government is interested in, in weird stuff, too, because it's filled with people and people are interested in weird stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it's anything groundbreaking. It's nothing that we haven't not seen before. They always, every few years, form a group that's going to study UFOs and then they release a report and then it's back on us to figure it out. Did you going back to Unsolved Mysteries, what did you think of that? UFO one from the the recent Netflix Unsolved Mysteries. Did you know that story before? I did know that story. I thought that that story was handled pretty well. I I, uh, I really wish 
I know that people are interested in kind of newer stories. I'm interested in like the old UFO stories because they are so much more fun. Like when someone, you know, lands and they're from Venus and they take someone to Mars and they eat dinner with the king of Mars and they have giant dogs that are like 30 feet tall. That's an actual story. Too. Really? Oh, yeah. Buck Nelson, who was a farmer in Missouri, he got taken on a trip to Venus, Mars, and the moon, and he saw giant dogs and uh, ate with the king of Mars. And they're just these kind of lovely stories that always end with the message of extraterrestrials being, uh, be nice to your planet and be nice to your ch- each other. That's like the 50s and 60s. That's all the aliens told people was be nice to each other and be nice to the planet. And something happened in the 70s, 80s, and 90s where it became... Now it's little gray, black-eyed humanoids that abduct people in their room and do experiments on them. So something changed. Wow. Okay. So have you seen one at any point? Or have you seen anything that's led you to believe that could be a UFO? Uh, I've seen... I've had three or four sightings of things that did not seem to fly like anything that I would recognize. And then the last time, which I think was three years ago or four years ago, there's an experiment that people can do. Uh, So if your listeners want to experiment, if you think you're seeing a UFO, uh, stare at it and think really hard in your mind. uh, I can see you. Can you see me? And then wait for it to fly over your head, which is what I did when I, the last time I saw these three objects flying around and they were not flying like airplanes. I was actually with someone else, my friend Mike. And uh, I told him, I said, we're going to look at those UFOs and we're going to tell them we can see them. And he was like, whatever. And as soon as we started doing that, they, they moved from really far off. They turned toward us and flew directly over our heads. Whoa. Wait, this is in Michigan? Yeah, in the Upper Peninsula. Does that kind of a thing work with ghosts, too? Like, I can see you. Like, can you, from your experience, do you think that that kind of a thing, you can talk to a ghost in that way if you see, like, an apparition or you feel a presence? Um, does that is that effective, do you think? I do. I, I think it's uh, far more probably effective than speaking out loud. Uh, I have a little chapter. I wrote a book last year called Theoretical Weirdo. And one of the chapters is called The Discernible Brain. And I think that, you know, ghosts don't have physical ears. And so when I talk, I'm just making waves through the air, vibrations. And the reason you can hear me is because you have an ear. And so your brain is translating those waves into sounds. But a ghost doesn't have a physical ear. So then how is it hearing my voice? I don't think it is. I think it's hearing the intention of my words behind my voice. And historically, uh, cross-culturally around the world, globally, the most used form of quote-unquote spirit communication is prayer. People close their eyes and they speak Mm. inside of their mind and they know that their thoughts are being discerned. And so I do think it works with what we call ghosts. Okay, well, let me just uh, ask you a couple more questions. You've been so generous with your time. I so appreciate it. You, as uh, expected, are blowing my mind. Um, So basically, I know this is like kind of a basic question, but do you think that 
say we know all the answers to ghosts and UFOs? Do you think that that's going to happen? And if it does, are we all out of business? I think that... uh, I, I, I really do think that we're not supposed to know. I think that knowing what happens after life... Uh, what happens to us after we die, I think that that makes life less beautiful. I think Mm -hmm. that that really takes away from this experience. And I wrote somewhere once, you know, once I, I wrote, once all of the stars have been cataloged and classified, once the experience of life after death has been written down in endless books and stored on bookshelves, once we know how everything works, why it works, and how it's going to work, then humanity will exist forever yawning. <laughs> like, like the, the point of, one of the points, at least for me, the idea that I have of being human is a quest to understand things. And I tell people all the time, if there's no such thing as ghosts, and there's no such thing as Bigfoot, and there's no such thing as UFOs, if those things are only a mechanism for us to talk to each other about our deep inner thoughts, then it's still vastly important. Yeah. Where do you see, I mean, particularly like ghost hunting? I mean, it's obviously gotten real big on television and, um, you know, where, where do you see it going? Do you see anything, anything new happening or are we heading in a direction of being able to figure anything else out? I think that we're moving... Uh, into a realm of, which I think is good. I think we're moving into a more philosophical realm. I think that we're moving away from you die and become a translucent version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that idea is going away and we're starting to recognize that we don't understand the fundamental nature of being human. We don't understand how our consciousness works. We don't really understand uh, every time we think we've solved the riddle of the universe, the universe plays when you try and play with it. And so it gives you a smaller or a bigger thing to look at. It gives you dark matter or it gives you vibrating strings that are beyond the, the quantum realm. And I, I really think that where we need to be, whether it be with UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, whatever, I think we do need to be more philosophical. And so I think that's where we're headed but you won't see it in popular media. I mean, you're not going to see a television show of six people sitting around a table talking about the nature of life and death and Bigfoot's place in it. Yeah, I think that even when I started this podcast two years ago, I was still coming from that uh, mindset that you kind of get from TV and movies and spooky. And I'm happy to have talked to more and more people and just to expand on ideas. And and I feel that what you're talking about, that shift that has been happening, I have felt as well with the way that we're approaching this stuff and the conversations we're having and, and, not, and, and heading away from the direction of this is how things are and it's scary and that's that. Like, I, I really like to hear different ideas and experiences and... Um, and I want, I'm excited to see where that leads us. Yeah, I mean, 10 years ago, you and I couldn't have done this type of conversation. Like, it just wouldn't have been listenable to anyone because people only wanted to hear ghost stories. And there is something to that. I love telling ghost stories. I have a lot of good ghost stories, and that's fine. Uh, but I feel like 
what people need to hear is that there are other people thinking more deeply about it than just here's a spooky thing that happened to me one time. Well, okay, but also I still have a little bit of that old uh, mentality in me. And you just said ghost stories. Can can we just hear like one more like real unexplainable what the fuck kind of a story that you've experienced? Sure. Um, so I had a husband and a wife who had bought a house. They said that there was something wrong with one of the upstairs bedrooms. Uh, they thought that it was haunted, so they called me. I did what I do. Uh, I went there. And I couldn't find any reason that that room should feel weird. It didn't feel weird to me, but they said that they they did feel this strangeness in that room, a heaviness, a darkness. Uh, so I started contacting all of the former owners of the house, and eventually I had got to a woman who had lived in the house just previous to them buying it, uh, who wouldn't return my calls. And so I thought, well, either she doesn't want to talk about ghosts or she's the reason, like, she knows what's, what went on in that room. Were you leaving messages like, I'm looking for ghost answers? or uh, I approach it a lot more serious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want ghost answers, lady. Uh, but eventually what happened, uh, she did call me and she said, you know, I just, I grew up in that house and I have a lot of bad experiences with that house. And I just don't like to talk about it. Um, and she related to me a story about when she was little, uh, her mother and father would lock her in the closet of her bedroom for, you know, hours on end, six to eight hours, sometimes mm. overnight. Damn. And she would just sit in that closet and cry. And I confirmed to her, I said, well, it's not that room because the room I'm talking about is upstairs and doesn't have a closet. So it's not that room. Uh, and that made her feel a little bit better. But that got me to thinking. Uh, so I went to the city hall and I pulled the original construction plans on the house. And I contacted the husband and the wife. I went back to the house and we tore down in that room one of the drywall walls that was up because someone had drywalled over a closet. And we found the closet behind the drywall. Uh, it was the closet that the girl had been locked in when she was little. Uh, and when I went home that night, uh, there was a message on my answering machine from her and it basically said, listen, I don't know if it was because I talked about it for the first time in years or what happened, but this afternoon I felt like I had been released from that house. So thank you for whatever you did and just talking to me about it. And the husband and wife said that room had felt fine ever since. So when we were talking earlier about what a ghost is, this woman was haunting her house, her childhood home. But even though she was alive, she had left something in that closet. And we let it out and resolved that issue. Weird. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, well, can you tell people where to find you and all the stuff you got going on? Sure. Uh, my website is Weird Lectures, and then I've tried to make all my social media very easy. So everything like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that is just John, J-O-H-N-E-L, Tenny, T-E-N-N-E-Y. Or I tell people all the time, just go on Google, type my last name, Tenny, and weirdo after it, and then follow <laughs> it wherever it leads. <laughs> well, I, I endorse your Twitter. I think you're really funny on Twitter, and I love the stuff that you share. Um you also on your website talk about like, you know, you can do, you do paranormal investigations and people can contact you. Can you just also tell us like 
what that looks like for you, how that process goes? Yeah, so it's somewhat in-depth. People contact me. I have them write down their experience and email it to me or or mail it to me. Um, I go over the little facts that they'll have given me, and then we meet in a safe location maybe a couple weeks later, go back over the story. I'll determine if I need to do more investigations. And then if it does warrant a deeper investigation, I'll start pulling property records and uh, contacting former homeowners. And I'll even have clients. If I, if I take someone on as a client, I'm going to make them go and see a therapist. Mm. Um, I'm going to ask for permission to talk to their doctors um, and get a really full read on the family. Uh, and if it warrants investigation after that, so now we're probably by this time two or three months or maybe even longer in, uh, then I'll start investigating the house physically. But there's a lot of groundwork to do before I even walk in. Wow. Have you been in situations where they're like, no, we need you now? Uh, I have. And those don't work out very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of the times it I mean, you don't really know what you're walking into. Sometimes I was working on a television show really quickly and uh the whole crew was there. We had flown to the location, got to the location, and I had figured that the network had been doing, you know, history and study of the location and the family and stuff, and they ha- obviously had not. I walked into the, the house, um, and within, like, minutes, I knew that there were massive non-paranormal problems in the family, that there were addiction issues and abuse issues. Like as soon as I walked in the house, you could tell. Mm. And I went outside and I told the producer, like, we don't, we don't need to be here. They don't need a paranormal team investigating their house. They need therapy and they need to talk to doctors and, and, you know, whoever they need to talk to. And the network said, uh, no, you're going to go in there and investigate that for a ghost. And I walked off the set and that show never got made. Damn, you would think that they would, yeah, I feel like that work needs to be done for sure. Yes. Is that when you decided to to do that kind of process, or were you already doing that kind of a thing? I was already doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were 10 years when I first started where people would call me and i just run out to the house or the location and start investigating. Uh, but you learn very quickly that people can be scarier than ghosts. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. So much to think about. Thank you to John. Please go check out everything that John does. I am a stun. And go to patreon.com slash to hear me talking to John more about cryptid creatures in Michigan. Guys, this is, um, you know, we're still in the pandemic. We're still doing it. But I am committed to continuing to give you some fun ghosty content. So make sure you check me out on Stereo, Stereo.com slash Roz Join the Facebook group, Ghosted by Roz Dresfeles. You know what I'd love? I would love it so much if you could tell your friends about the show. I love when you post on an Insta story or just, you know, word of mouth. That's always good. And another thing that's really good for the show is five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review. Or if you leave five stars, leave a ghost story. Maybe I'll read it on the show at some point. 
I would love to do some more listener episodes. So send those over to ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line listener episode. And um, I don't know. I'm sure there's other places you can find me. Instagram, Roz Dressfulness, all the places. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye! Star Avenue, a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.